Amen. You can have a seat. Would you turn with me um, in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3? We are working our way through the book of 1 Peter. Um, and uh, our great God has um, things to say to us from his word. If you are um, new to Christianity or just maybe checking us out and don't have a Bible, um, we've printed the text for you on page 8 of your worship guide. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one for free. And so if you're online watching us, just email us or message us. Um, if you're here, just pull us aside, give us your contact info. If you're visiting with us today, we would love to um, have um, any of your info that you'd like to provide. You can fill that out the last page of your worship guide and just drop it in one of the offering plates over here. 1 Peter chapter 3, starting with verse 1. This is God's word. Likewise, wives... Be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is God's word. Would you join with me and ask his blessing on his word preached? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you say that your kingdom is not advanced simply by words, but by the power of your spirit. And so we pray, King of kings and Lord of lords, would you display your power in our midst by changing us from the inside out? Would your grace come and comfort us where we are discouraged and shape us where we are misshapen and convict us where we are hardened? And all in these things, would you work so that our eyes might be open to your beauty and your glory and your worth and your power. For we need you. And so we want to hear from you. And so we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, um, here's where we're at. And Peter, we're going to talk about household roles between husbands and wives. And in the original preaching schedule, um, I had Adam up for this text, and as I worked on it this week, I thought, maybe I should have left it that way. But I think this is important, right? We need to hear God speak into these areas of our lives, and that's one of the things that's beneficial about working through books of the Bible. God sets the agenda, right? God gives us the talking points, and it forces us 
to listen to him in areas that we might prefer to avoid or tone down or just skip altogether. But let me say this. I think there are two ditches that we need to avoid as we're entering into this text, two errors. The first error is thinking, my spouse really needs to hear this. You know, we have to work on our own calling. This is, a, this is in part, I think, what Jesus has in mind when he warns us to take the log out of our own eye before looking at the speck that is in our spouse's eye. You and I have stuff to work on in our own hearts and in our own callings. In other words, if this sermon makes you mad at your spouse, you're doing it wrong. Second ditch, we can't think that we are exempt from what God is calling us to in our roles in marriage because our spouse is failing in their calling. Peter actually takes the failure of the spouse into consideration. We have to remember that each of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ on the last day and give an account for our own faithfulness to his calling. Okay, so with those two ditches in mind, let's travel down this road that God has for us in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Verse 1 starts with likewise. Actually, in both of these, in the first section in verse 1, likewise wives, and then in verse 7, likewise husbands. Peter is linking us up with what he's been previously talking about in the previous chapter. Now you need to remember that the chapter divisions and the verse division, the verse numbers, aren't original to the Bible. They were added about 500 years ago to help us find things in the Bible. And so we've got to consider the broader context of Peter's thought. Peter in this section has been talking about submission regardless of the character of the individual. So, for instance, in verse 13 of chapter 2, he says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. That's what he's using likewise to link us up to. Submit, he goes on to the honor the emperor, who happens to be, in a broad sense, escalating persecution to um, Christ's church at the time but do so in fearful obedience to the Lord. In verse 18, be subject to unjust masters. And then now he's turning in verse 1 of chapter 3 and moving into the households. Government, God's put in order. Employers, now let's talk about order within the household. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husband's. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Now you'll notice that Peter spends six verses addressing wives and only one verse addressing husbands. And there's a reason for this. And it's a broader reason of what is going on in the early church. What's happening in the early church was very unusual. Women were coming to faith in Christ. See, in ancient Roman culture, women were not allowed to choose their own religion. They weren't even allowed to choose their own friends. They had to follow the religion that their husband had chosen. But 
the gospel comes with a new power, right? It breaks in and does unconventional things. It's not a sociological phenomenon. It is God breaking in with the power of the new creation into a person's life. Peter reminds us of this in verse 4 of chapter 1 when he says, you've been born again to a living hope. By what kind of power? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as a result, women who were on the outside and couldn't choose their own religion are born again and brought into a relationship with Jesus and therefore into his church. In fact, early Christianity was extremely appealing to women because it gave them something that the broader context did not give them, a new dignity and a new hope, both of which were unavailable to them because of the structures of ancient Rome. And therefore, what Peter is doing in these six verses, his concern is that when the new creation of Jesus breaks into a person's life, the original creative order is restored. And so here's a basic principle. When God's kingdom comes, sin corrupts, grace restores. And so we have to, to understand what Peter's getting into and the roles of husbands and wives within the household. We have to go back to the original creation before we can go forward and apply this to the roles of wives and husbands in the home. Because this is what marriage is. Marriage is a template from the relationship of Christ to his church. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 5. This mystery, and he's talking about marriage, is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and his church. You see, sometimes the writers in the Bible will find something in everyday life and then argue from that to the gospel. This, the gospel is like this thing. But in Ephesians 5, Paul does the opposite with marriage. He says, he says you know that thing that happens in marriage, where in, in some mysterious way, God makes two human beings, a husband and a wife, a man and a wife, one flesh. And he's talking about more than just the marriage bed when he says that. But he's saying that's a mystery what's going on. But he says, this is what's going on. That is a mystery that reflects Christ in the church. That thing, that union between Jesus, that union of love that makes us one with him, that God created marriage to reflect that. He's arguing from the relationship of Jesus to his people to marriage. That's the template. The relationship of Jesus his, to his beloved bride, God took that and created marriage. And part of the corruption of sin is that it deeply affects the household order. Because sin corrupts that. And what God is doing with the new creation that comes to us in Jesus is restoring that. You see, in Genesis 1, 28, after God creates man in 
woman, he tells them that they together are to have dominion over creation. That word dominion is kingly language. The man and the woman together were to be on mission to bring the chaos of creation under the dominion of God. They were kings and queens to subdue creation and and see it flourish under the dominion of God. But one of Adam's great failures was that he didn't protect the garden kingdom of God from the lying serpent. And the devil snuck in and deceived the wife. And one of the saddest phrases in the whole first three chapters of the Bible is this. She took the fruit and ate it and also gave some to her husband who was with her. And this is utterly sad phrase. And he ate it. He didn't just eat. See, what what was going on is he should have brought God's truth to bear on this situation. His wife had been deceived. She had fallen prey to the lies of the evil one. But as the husband, he should have reset her heart on God's word so that she could clearly see her sin and turn and repentance and receive forgiveness again. But he abdicated that responsibility. He was passive. He just ate. And what follows out in every marriage sense is just that. This dynamic that's now at work, God pursues Adam. Where are you? I'm hiding. And God says, what happened? It's the woman's fault. That woman you gave me, and I just, she gave me the fruit, and I just ate it, and it's all her fault. Do I need to switch this mic? I'm going to turn my mic off. There we go. And I often say that's the, that's the greatest failure in marriage. It, it's if we turn against each other as if we were each other's enemies instead of, instead of fighting against the common enemies of sin, Satan, and death. We turn and we fight against each other and blame it. I do it all the time. Well, if you only, if you did this better, I would be a better spouse. And we forget that there is a greater enemy that we're fighting together against to bring God's glory and that we are in our marriages on mission together for the advancement of Jesus' rule in this world. And so there's one of the problems with our roles in marriage. We begin the blame game and fighting against each other and then because of their sin, God cursed Eve's primary relationship. And to the woman, he said this, your desire will be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And you see what God's saying is the curse of sin is going to create a conflict of power and headship within your relationship. The man abdicated his role, but you offered him the fruit. And now you are going to want his position of headship. And the central relationship of the home is now going to be one of conflict. 
You will want his position. And he is going to want to be heavy-handed over you. So that frames our entrance into this passage. Let's now see how the grace and power of Jesus recreates that very broken household order that we all experience. Wives, submit to your husbands for the sake of Christ. As I mentioned last week, Peter uses sub, to be subject and obey interchangeably in verse 6. That's what he means. Be subject to your husbands by obeying him. But catch also the missional impact of this command, the effect that it has in the hands of Jesus. Wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. For the sake of Jesus, who submitted himself to his Father's will and joyful obedience, obey the direction and leadership of your husband. Now, I need to say this. <laughs> if you want to know what this looks like on a day-to-day -day basis to submit to and obey your husbands, don't ask me. I'm not an expert on this. Ask a godly woman. You don't need to hear from a husband and a man as to what this looks like because I'm not a wife. You may have noticed. And as I was thinking through this, I was reminded of, of Paul's admonition that older women should teach younger women. Paul puts it this way in Titus 2. Older women are to teach younger women what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. And so this is my encouragement to you, whatever age you are, whether you're not yet married, whether you're single and want to get married one day, whether you're currently married, go find an older, wiser, godly woman and just ask, what does this look like? How does this work out? But I can say this because Peter says this, let your submission be with all gentleness. Because the mark of Jesus is that he is gentle with his sheep. He's gentle with you. Likewise, the imperishable beauty of a woman is the hidden disposition of a heart that is gentle and quiet. And lest we think that's an awful thing, Peter reminds us, which in God's sight is very precious. And you see what Peter's doing is saying, don't Put your efforts into pushing back the effects of aging, adorning yourself with makeup and nice clothes and fitness and jewelry. Instead, put your hand to pushing back the effects of the fall. The fruit of the Spirit are what Jesus, it's Peter's telling us to put on. The fruit of the Spirit, as Paul reminds us in Galatians chapter 5, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, in self-control. And as Peter's saying is, is don't, don't put all of your efforts into preparing your outward beauty, but prepare the inward beauty because these things of a gentle and quiet spirit, 
delight God's eyes. And submit with respect, verse 2. This is going to require heart disposition as well because if you do not respect your husband because he is not fit for your respect, every husband in this room would nod in agreement with you. But that's not the point. The point that Peter's making is the one who is calling you to respect your husband is fit for your respect. And so out of respect for Jesus, respect your husband's leadership. Now, students, I want to talk to you for a second. Guys, in particular, as you're trying to figure out who to date and eventually marry, keep this in mind. There are two dynamics at work in the world right now. Paul says it this way, the outer man is wasting away, the inner man is being renewed by the Spirit. And our temptation is to choose someone based on what is fading away, what is wasting away, the outward beauty. But you would be better to invest is what, on, what is on a different trajectory, what God is investing in by the Spirit. You would be better to choose someone that God is recreating a woman with a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Put on the eyes of Jesus and don't look for a potential spouse and a woman who is just simply outwardly beautiful, but is inwardly beautiful in God's sight with a gentle and quiet spirit. You see, this is just a manifestation of what we often call the upside-down kingdom, right? The upside-down kingdom has an upside-down dignity, too. The world around us says that your dignity is based on your access to power and influence. And so the conventional thinking goes, you've got to give everyone equal access to power because their dignity is at stake. But consider Jesus who did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, his access to power, a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself, taking the form of a slave, the same Savior who, though he was the most dignified human being to ever walk the face of the earth, sat down and washed Peter's feet like a household slave, naked, serving because he was full of dignity. And so if we aren't going to bristle at these commands, we have to untangle our expectations and our ears, which are tied to those expectations from the world. Because in God's kingdom, dignity is not something that we gain and therefore have to grasp by our own efforts or position or role in this world. It's something that's freely given by God in his grace. Peter reminds his people of this in chapter 2, verse 9. Amazing dignity has been given to you from Jesus because you're in Christ. You're a chosen race, a whole royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Jesus gives that to his people. Freely, he earns it and bestows it on the worst of us 
so that we, verse 11 of chapter 2, in God's sight, are God's beloved people. And this dignified status was given at our worst while we are in rebellion against God. And as a result in Christ, we're free. Free from the pursuit of dignity by marrying it to power. And now Peter tells us in verse 16, live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but serving as servants of God, living as servants of God. One author says it this way. We need not be concerned about maintaining our rights. Jesus trusted his Father, the righteous judge, to do that. And so should we. The Christian who follows Jesus doesn't grasp for privilege. She or he already privileged beyond imagination in Christ. The Christian rather seeks opportunities to imitate Christ in willing subjection to service. You see, it just the gospel just frees us. It frees us from the things that the world around us tells us you've got to do and you can't it, you measure your dignity by who serves you and what power you have and what roles you have. And the, and the gospel just says, you're freed from that. You don't have to do that anymore because you have amazing dignity in Christ. Now he turns to husbands, verse 7. Likewise, husbands, here's your call. Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. You see, Peter's doing something remarkable here. He's recognizing the physical differences between male and female. Those are built in by God's design. The weaker vessel language seems to be a nod to the differences in the physical strength between a man and a woman. The vessel is speaking, is Peter's way of speaking about the wife's body in general, it is weaker than the man's. And so, husbands, you may not physically abuse your wife to take advantage of her weakness in any way. And wise, if your husband is abusing you, he is sinning against Jesus. Let us know. And not us, if not us, then someone. This is not God's will do not live in the situation. This is not what Jesus wants for you. A husband's position as head should look like Jesus's use of power. It should be used to protect, to provide, to nurture. And if it comes to it, he lays down his life so that you could thrive. That's what gospel-centered use of power looks like. And if he is using his power to oppress and abuse you. He is in sin against the Lord, and the Lord wants to protect you from him. Guys, switching gears. Because our use of power in our role needs to look like the Lord Jesus' use of power and privilege and status in service, we have got to step up. You are the head of your home. 
And as I often say when I do a wedding, that's not a command. It is a statement of what is by God's design. Treat your wife as an equal. A co-heir of life with you. So that you, in doing so, join Jesus in his honor of her. And then, secondly, don't be passive. Don't use your authority to just passively go on with life. Use your authority to protect, provide, and lead. Don't be like Adam, who just passively let things go by that he should have been protecting and delivering his wife from. Be like the warrior king who protects and leads his people into victory at great cost to himself. Because you see what's at stake here. Husbands, guys who want to be husbands one day, look what's at stake here at verse, the end of verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. It's a sobering statement. Because the weight of being the head of the house as a husband, the father, the weight is tremendous. There is not a single man here who thinks he is doing a knock-it-out-of-the-park job. Every one of us feels our weakness, our inability, our failure all the time. I think that's one of the reasons that men are tempted to be so passive. We feel our inadequacy in face of the mission that Jesus has entrusted to us. And it's easier to just be passive rather than engage in the fight. The need for wisdom and power as the head of the house is great. I can't tell you how many times my wife has said to me, what are we going to do in this situation? And the only reply I can give back is, I don't know. I'm baffled. I've tried everything. And when you feel your weakness and you feel your inability and you feel the weight of your sin, you better rest on this truth. God is the Father who is parenting your children. Jesus is the warrior who's fighting for your family. He is the husband that is a better husband to your wife and you're just joining into his mission he is the one who is sanctifying your wife. You're joining in. The Spirit is the power of God who is destroying the strongholds of Satan. And you're just joining in. But if you're joining in, your prayers are essential to calling in the help of God, to calling in the power of God, to calling in the wisdom of God, and to have your prayers hindered is a dangerous thing because you need his help. And so you better call on him on behalf of your wife and children. And if you are not honoring your wife as an heir of the grace of life, your prayers will be 
hindered. Don't be passive. Treat her with honor and dignity. And when husbands and wives, we are tempted to lay down our roles, push back our roles, or excuse our roles. You have to, we have to remember that there are three people in this relationship. Ourselves, our spouse, and Jesus. And if we are simply responding to our spouse, we will excuse, dismiss, or give up. But if we're responding to the love of the Savior, His immense grace, His willingness to forgive a thousand times in our lives, to never grow weary, to never give up, to always embrace, to be gentle and strong, if we are responding to the gospel, then we can respond to our spouse so much differently. For the grace and the power that flows from the throne of grace will always enable us to take up our roles, to serve Jesus on mission, so that our spouse and the world might be amazed at our Savior. To this, we can rejoice. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would work in each of our homes, strengthen us in our roles, empower wives to submit to their husbands out of love and reverence for you with a gentle and quiet spirit. Give them the grace, the eyes to see your face smiling on those attributes. Lord, strengthen husbands to lead with wisdom and courage. God, I pray that we would see in a world that is often plagued by marriages falling apart and homes being broken, your gospel going into broken marriages and seeing them transform. We want to see, we want to see men and women across our county coming to faith in Christ and the homes being transformed by your spirit's power and love. Lord, we pray for our missionaries on the college campus, for the RUF campus ministers, would you open doors for them as they go out into the college campus. Give them wisdom as they try to figure out how to, how to lead and shepherd in midst of pandemic. Lord, we pray for the brokaws and the sadness of losing another child. Would you comfort them in their affliction as the God of all comfort? Lord, we pray that you would bring a church planner to us who would go out to the small towns and reach these small towns for the gospel, for their people who are hungry and desperate to hear of Jesus. So we pray that you would call a family here to move out there and that this would be the beginning of a movement planting churches in small towns around South Central Middle Tennessee. Lord, you're on the move. The pandemic can't stop you. The hardness of our hearts can't stop you. Our unbelief can't stop you. For you are a God of grace. And you embrace the broken. And so come near throughout this week and be near to the brokenhearted. Finally, Lord, 
we pray the prayer that our King taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.